Hey, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast listeners, welcome back. A huge thanks for the support and the positive feedback so far. We've had 469 listeners in just 11 days, five episodes. We've got several more in the queue teed up and ready to share with you, but I just want to say thanks so much. I've received several notes and comments from some of you saying that you're enjoying them, that you've listened to some of them twice, and you're making your way through those episodes that we've posted so far. I really, really appreciate the support, and I want to thank the companies that have backed me early on. That includes Champion System Apparel, My Fit Mode Nutrition, Runner's High here in Golden, Feedback Sports, and last but not least, Relish Studio, who's been giving me a huge hand with the editing and distribution of the content so far. All right, where the subject that's on my heart today is a serious one. I've titled this episode, Your Funeral. And this topic has been on my heart. And as you've probably heard in a few of the episodes, I've been asking my guests, what are people saying about them at their funeral or what do they hope they leave behind as their legacy? So I want to start today off with reading from one of my all-time favorite books to set the stage for this subject. In your mind's eye, see yourself going to the funeral parlor, parking the car, and getting out. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers, the soft organ music. You see faces of friends and family you pass along the way. You feel the shared sorrow of losing, the joy of having known, that radiates from the hearts of the people there. As you walk down to the front of the room and look inside the casket, you suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral, three years from today. All these people have come to honor you to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. As you take a seat and wait for the services to begin, you look at the program in your hand. There are to be four speakers. The first one is from your family, who have come from all over the country to attend. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of what you were as a person. The third speaker is from your work or profession. And the fourth is from a community organization where you've been involved in service. Now think deeply. What would you like each of these speakers to say about you and your life? What kind of husband, wife, father, or mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? what contributions, and what achievements. As you can probably guess, that segment came from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, and that is from the portion he titles, Begin with the End in Mind. And that section has always resonated with me, and it's the reason that I've been asking that question and will continue to ask that question of my guests on the show. I'm also a fan of Simon Sinek and his book, What's your why? Or start with why. He talks about knowing what your why is and then allowing each decision that you're faced with to either move you towards your why or acknowledge that it's going to move you away from your why. I think these two segments considered together really help a person determine where and how they're going to spend their time and their energy. We are confronted with I would say a bombardment of both opportunities as well as obligations on a daily basis. There are many people that will come to us 
grabbing at our clothes, pulling us this way and that, saying this, this, this demands your attention. No, no, over here, this demands your attention. No, you really should do this. No, this is really what's expected of you. No, this is your commitment. No, you said that you would do this. And I think all too often we feel stretched thin, overscheduled, overcommitted, perhaps resentful towards the things that we've said that we would do. And I think when we start with the end in mind, when we picture our funeral and the people who have taken the time to attend, and especially those who have committed to getting up on stage and speaking about us, which is a very difficult undertaking. It's a very emotional and difficult undertaking to speak about someone at their funeral. When you consider who those people are and what they'll say, I think it makes it a lot easier for us to decide what to say yes to and what to say no to. Now, as I was researching this portion of Stephen Covey's book, I ran across a really great blog where the suggestion was made that in addition to those four people speaking on your behalf at your funeral, there's a fifth person that needs to stand up. And that fifth person is you. You need to stand up and state exactly what it was that made you proud to be inside your own head. Thinking about the things that you would say about your life at your own funeral, if it were possible, really provides some structure for how you set up your day and how you spend your time. Okay, so here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you've given some thought to that funeral and those four people and the fifth being yourself, I want you to sit down and take a few moments to actually write down the things that they say about you. And I want you to convert those sentiments into bullet points. And then I want you to spend some time transferring those bullet points into a one-page document that I want you to call the vision of your life. Insert your name here. And as you're going to hear from one of our guests when we get her podcast up, there is power in writing words down on paper, certainly in terms of journaling and writing down some of those subconscious thoughts, bringing things that are on the inside of us out into the outside, out into the light. But with respect to crafting your life's vision, if you begin with the end in mind and the things that you want to be remembered by, convert them to bullet points and treat this as your mission statement, as your vision. It will allow you to make the very best decisions day to day rather than being reactive, rather than feeling guilt if you say no to something, rather than feeling pressure. You'll be able to check in with your vision for your life and yourself and assess that decision, that use of your time, energy, talents as against the vision. And it's going to help you really move towards your why. And you're going to be able to politely decline those things that move you away from your why. So chances are you're thinking to yourself, this is perhaps a bit morbid. Megan, what is the driver of these types of thoughts? What brought this to the forefront of your mind? Well, I'll share exactly what that moment was with you. Uh, Earlier this year, 2018, we lost a cyclist named Andrew Tillon to a cycling collision and it uh, cost him his life. And I deal with cycling collisions and cycling deaths on a daily basis. It's what I do for a living. And so I've definitely had this issue come across my plate more often than I care to admit. 
It is part of what I do for a profession, and it is definitely something that confronts me on a daily basis. Each one is difficult in its own right, but I'll confess that there was something particularly difficult about losing Andrew. And when I think about that, it's in large part because he was out there working in cycling advocacy and was on the forefront of trying to help make cycling safer. He wrote for Outside Magazine and several other publications. He had done some work that involved me. He'd really put me on the map by writing about me in Outside Magazine several years ago. We'd become friends as a result of that article. And it was almost like um, we lost one of the main spokespeople for cycling and there was a part of me that was really angry and of course very sad, but then there was a part of me that was happy for Andrew because he went out doing exactly what he loved, which was riding his bike. And his death really forced me to a crossroads to decide, am I going to live in fear of something that is a very known, a very well-known risk that may potentially detract from my enjoyment of something that I enjoy doing very, very much. I love riding my bike Am I going to hang it up? Is it something that scares me so much that I just can't do it anymore? And combined with the desire to live each day fully and with maximum enthusiasm, which certainly riding my bike plays a large part in my overall life enjoyment. So his death really brought to my front doorstep this crossroads and this decision. And it got me thinking a lot about my own death and the end of my life and how that may look whether it's going to end with me on a bike ride or whether I'll grow old and live my last days aging somewhere, hopefully gracefully, in my 90s or maybe even make it to 100. But regardless, it got me thinking about my funeral arrangements. I took plans or took uh, steps to make plans and have my wishes documented in my estate in terms of how do I want my funeral, how do I want my possessions disposed of, do I want a, a casket? Do I want to be cremated? And I'll just share that some of that decision-making really brought me a lot of peace and honestly a larger commitment to the life that I want to live and an even brighter vision of what my funeral will look like and what people would say about me. So, for example, I decided that I definitely don't want to be buried in a casket. I very much want to be cremated. I don't want to have some site that people feel obligated to visit once a year. And I'd like to have my ashes sprinkled somewhere amazing outside, preferably by someone who's riding a bike when they do it. I also instructed uh, the people that will hopefully follow the directions in my will that I don't want a typical funeral um, I don't want it to be solemn or sad. I want it to be a huge party. In fact, the explicit instructions were to um, spend all my money throwing a huge party for everyone in my life that I love. I want it to be fun. I want it to be positive. I want it to be a celebration of life. And I certainly want to minimize the sadness that anyone uh, experiences as a result of my passing away. Along those lines, then, I started to think about my possessions and who... I would gift certain possessions to, and that was in a really interesting process. You start thinking about your funeral and who's going to speak there, but then you also think about the things in your life that you'll leave behind. And of course, we all know, and we, we read this all the time, that you can't take it with you in terms of um, working really hard to earn a bunch of money to save or to buy things that you covet, and the reality is you can't take it with you. And so I started to think about the possessions in my life, and... I made a decision about who would get my bikes and who would get my 
my property and, and who would get my bank accounts and things like that. And of course, naturally it's all family. But then I also started to think about close friends and some young women in my life that I wanted to leave some uh, of my possessions as well, including jewelry. And as I was going down that list, I realized with great significance just how little my possessions mean to me. And as I started to really drill down on this subject, I actually started to feel a lot of resentment towards the possessions in my life, the things that take my energy, the things that demand my time, that need to be serviced, that need to be repaired, the warranties that we have to chase down for reimbursement, the amount of time that we spend on the phone, on the hold with customer service. I just recently came off of a month of no home internet. It was bliss. I resented the fact that I really did need to have home internet again for a variety of reasons, one of which is including that I'm in the process of writing a book and I needed to have access to the internet to do that in my evenings. All of that to say that the things that we own, if we're not careful, will own us. And I credit that quote to one of my favorite movies, The Fight Club. I'm sure that the quote came from somewhere else prior to it being featured in the movie, but that quote really speaks to me. Be careful what you own because it will own you. And, and so Andrew's death started this cascade of self-investigation, self-reflection, and evaluation of, am I spending my time to chase down money, to earn, to buy things that I don't need that actually don't, not only don't bring me joy, but detract from my enjoyment of my life and detract from my enthusiasm. So I very consciously this year have been eliminating possessions in my life and the more I get rid of, the more it frees me up and the more it's freed up my bandwidth. The more that I find I have that energy and that mental desire to be present for the conversations and the people in front of me. It's almost like the more white space that has entered my life, the more just alive I have felt. And so with the loss of Andrew, it's started this cascade of um, just amazing impact in my life. And I credit him to being that pivotal moment, that impetus for me to start doing this investigation, to start thinking about end of life issues, to start having these frank conversations with family, to confront the fact that no one is getting out of here alive. And I'm actually really okay with that. And I'm actually really comfortable with all of this. Interestingly enough, this coincided with a 2018 goal I had set for myself, which was the year of no shopping. And as I've shared in earlier podcast recordings. It's also the year of no drinking, the year of 10,000 miles on my bike, and the year of $10,000 contributed to an organization called Hope Sports to build a home for a family in need. And so as I've been um, embarking on this, what I'll call journey, this year of no shopping, that coincided with this revelation that my possessions actually don't bring me very much joy and in fact detract from my enjoyment of life. And so that's been really powerful because not only have I been eliminating so many things that frankly just suck the life out of me, I haven't been buying anything else to put in their place. Let's admit it, late at night, for me at least, I'll be scrolling through Instagram and one of those adorable hoodie or yoga pant companies will pop up. And those are the ones that tend to be the impulse buy for me. I'm not really an online shopper. I'm certainly not an, a shopping mall shopper, but you catch me at the right moment with a cute coffee mug or an amazing pair of yoga pants. And I am oftentimes quick with the trigger. 
I follow a group called The Minimalists on Instagram and Facebook. I also own the book All That Remains that they wrote, and I'll be sharing some of that on the blog associated with this podcast. But it's interesting because as I was simmering about the topic that I wanted to speak in this recording on, The Minimalist posted a really awesome share on Instagram, and I'm just going to read it because it's directly on point. They ask, how important is the stuff in your life? Your material possessions, those things you've worked so hard for by slaving 40, 50, 60 hours a week to acquire, how much value do they actually add to your life? We bet it's less than you realize. Here's an exercise for you. Take a moment and write down your 10 most expensive material possessions from the last decade. Things like your car, your house, your jewelry, your furniture, and any other material possessions you own or have owned in the last 10 years. The big ticket items. Next to that list, make another top 10 list. 10 things that add the most value to your life. This list might include experiences like catching a sunset with a loved one, watching your kid play baseball, eating dinner with your parents, etc. Be honest with yourself when you're making these lists, as it's likely that both lists share zero things in common. Okay, listeners, so with that, you've got a few lists to make. What the four folks will say about you at your funeral, what the fifth person, namely yourself, would say about you and what's in your head and in your heart. Go home and make two lists of those possessions, the things that are the big ticket items, as well as the list of things that bring you the most enjoyment. Simmer in those lists. Give some thought also to the actual funeral arrangements that you'd like to have made. As a lawyer, I can't say enough about making sure that you've got an estate plan in place, a will, so that your loved ones know how you'd like things done when that time comes and so that your possessions and estate can transfer on to your heirs as seamlessly as possible. Don't let yourself um, go down that road without an estate plan in place. With that, I'm going to wrap it up a little bit early today. I hope I've given you some good things to think about. I hope I haven't put too much um, end-of-life thought on your heart in, in any sort of negative way. I, I hope that this actually inspires you and helps you craft the schedule and the life that brings you the most enjoyment and the most maximum enthusiasm. We do have this one life to live. And as I continue to interview guests for the show, I keep coming back to that theme of living on purpose, living wide awake, not sleeping through our days, not mindlessly letting our time and talents be spoken for, for us, but rather us making very intentional and specific decisions about how they will be spent and where they will be invested. Friends, I can't emphasize and encourage you enough to really give some thought and spend some time being intentional about where your day goes start to finish. I'm going to spend a future podcast talking about morning routine because I do think that that really shapes the day. And uh, I recently read a great book by Aubrey Marcus called Own the Day, Own Your Life. And I'm going to talk some about those concepts too. But if nothing else, when you leave this podcast or this recording, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, grab hold of your day take hold of your life, make a plan, start with the end in mind and know what your why is. Make those decisions that will bring you closer to your why. Evaluate those possessions, evaluate everything in your life and eliminate those things that are not adding to your joy. As Mark Manson says, it's either a hell yes or it's a no. Today's episode is brought to you by Feedback Sports. As you know, I'm a huge fan of the Omnium Trainer. 
It's the best thing since sliced bread in terms of riding your bike either indoors or warming up for a race pre-event. The trainer is super handy, easy to fold up. You can put it in a little bag and take it with you, and they are offering a discount of 20% to our listeners. So when you go to the website, feedbacksports.com, and you place that Omnium trainer in your shopping cart, make sure you use the code HOTMAN, H-O-T-T-M-A-N, at checkout. Save yourself 20%. These folks are here in Golden, Colorado. They are a rad bunch of humans. I can't really recommend the products enough. Check out some of the bike tools they've got. And of course, get yourself one of those handy bike stands. They are the best in the world. Take care, friends. Go forth and live in maximum enthusiasm.